right now. You don't need to look at them just yet. We're going to get into an activity in a second. Um, and I'm just checking on time. Christian, are we, are we done at five? Is that the... Okay. All right. Perfect. Huh? Vespers is at four? Okay. Okay, so I, we need to, okay. My computer's off, sorry. Um, okay. All right, so what we're going to talk about right now and switch into, um, you're getting an icon, um, then you'll get a sheet with questions on it. And one thing I wanted to say about the last session, there were some reflective questions in there, especially at the end. It was a silent reflection of you to, to take some time. I'd really like you to find some time this weekend that you can just spend at home and silently reflect on some of the questions that are there if you can find some time. Um, it's kind of that piece of how, how, how am I going to take what I learned and implement it, or how am I going to take it and, and offer it up to God and help him figure out how we transform things from here going forth, and, and just take some time to do it. I had hoped to give you five minutes quiet time to kind of think that through here, but um, too much too much information to share and stuff, so forgive me for that. So what I want to um, go into right now is the idea of being the church at home. We talked a little bit about this in the morning, but I kind of want to get into it a little bit deep, deeper and how we're going to um, kind how we're going to um, sorry get into um, bringing the church and being it being it in our home. Um, because, you know, we know that the church is kind of, oh, this has to actually turn this on. Um, sorry. There we go. Okay. That'll be up in a minute. So, um, we know St. John Chrysostom talks about the church of the home. He says, when you go home from the church, lay out with your meal a spiritual meal as well. In short, the household might become a church so that the devil is driven off and the evil spirit, the enemy of our salvation, takes flight. The grace of the Holy Spirit would rest there. Instead, all peace and harmony surrounds the inhabitants. Okay? So the more we bring the church in our home, the more we focus on God, the more peace is in our home. Now, I want to talk about that because, again, we can, we can twist that. Okay? We can say peace means that everything's going good in our lives. And, and that's really not um, what um, the peace that they're talking about. The peace is resting in knowing that good, bad, no matter what comes our way, that God is God and God is there for us and God loves us. And that's what matters. Okay? Um, so the more we stay connected to Christ, the more difficult things that come into our lives make more sense, okay? Because we see them, you know, as Christ, um, focused on Christ, realizing the bigger picture, realizing that this minor trial in life um, can actually be working towards helping us towards our salvation. So we need to keep that in mind. The other thing um, that I want to caution, that I want to mention, um, because this quote, um, it uses the word devil, evil spirit, you know, the enemy of salvation. Um, and I think sometimes we shy away from using that word or even mentioning that the devil does exist. Um, and, um, and, and 
it's important to identify that he is very much actively trying um, to distract us from God. And one of my favorite non-Orthodox quotes, I can't remember, I feel like it might have been Martin Luther, um, but he said, if the devil can't make you a bad person, he'll just keep you really busy. And I'm like, did he write that about me? <laughs> I'm like, because it's like, as soon as I fix this, as soon as I do this, then I'll give more attention to my spiritual life. And that's a trick. Um, and that's a, a, a hard thing um, um, to, to realize, but to realize he's actively working in our life as well and trying to distract us from focusing on Christ. Um, and I think it's important to identify that. Now, I will caution, um, and I, this, this is not just my opinion. I know that Sister Magdalene talks about it in her book, I think, Conversations with Children, um, about young children and talking about devils and demons and stuff can be really scary for them. My son is um, almost eight, um, and um, unfortunately, somebody had introduced that concept to him, and I think he was a little bit too young to hear about it because he kind of came fixated on wanting to know more about who this devil was and seeing what, and to the point where he wanted to, thank goodness he doesn't get it on the computer, right? He wanted to Google what does the devil look like. Can you imagine the horror he would have come up with? Um, so we've had to have a lot of conversations, and I don't think he was really developmentally ready to engage with that concept yet. Um, so, but I think certainly older, you know, children and certainly ourselves need to be aware of that. But okay, what we're talking about is being the church in our home. Um, oh, let's actually put the slideshow in slideshow mode. Yes. And that's the most that's the most important thing for them to understand and by no means am i saying by saying my son is seven and that it was hard for him to handle am i saying that that's like the magic age or that you can't talk about those things earlier i'm saying for my child for his temperament for his um impressionability and for how scared he gets it was not good for him you all know your children you know when is appropriate time to introduce and not and stuff so I, I just wanted to put that out there but thank you very much for saying that of course God is we that's what we have to impress upon their heart is God is greater and again to fight that urge that just because you know God is on our side that he makes everything wonderful in our life and if we believe in Jesus we get everything we want and life is happy and nothing bad happens to us you know that's that's not that's not what it you know that's not what it says you know um, that's not how life goes um, so I think that's just really important so all of you do all of you have an icon okay do all of you have a sheet that kind of matches your icon 
Okay, so what I'm gonna have you do right now is I wanna take a couple minutes, two minutes, um, to quietly like look at your icon and, and think about it, um, or think about your icon, um, and, and then we'll discuss some of the, you can look ahead, actually, sorry, back up. Two minutes, one minute, just stare at your icon, think about how it makes you feel. Don't think about what kind of icon it is or this and that. You can just think about your icon and what you see or what you, what you hear about your icon and stuff. Um, and then after that, I'm gonna have you look at your sheet, okay? So one minute, quiet. Now I want you to shift, and there's a quote that goes with the icon. Um, take some time just engaging with that a little bit if you're able, okay? And then from there, um, we'll take a minute thinking about how the quote relates to the icon, um, and then we'll start talking. So another minute. Don't need, look at any of the questions or write anything down. Have you all look back up here we're going to start we're going to go through each icon and talk a little bit about each icon and these concepts that they bring into bringing the church into our home okay so the first icon we're going to talk about is the icon of the ladder of divine ascent so we have the ladder from earth to heaven christ is at the top what we actually see is um, monks going up the ladder because it's um, the icon from Sinai um, and we see 
um, we see demons with arrows trying to knock people down, even in some cases kind of pulling them down. Um, and we see angels up at the top. And other renditions of this, there's actually angels on the icon kind of helping people and stuff, which is a, a nice thing to see. So um, for those of you that had this icon, what are some thoughts that came to mind when you saw this? Scared, discouraged, fearful, and alone. Scared, discouraged, fearful, and alone. This is a hard icon to look at. I'll be honest, this is the one that started the whole discussion of the devil with my son because he saw this sitting out somewhere and um, it was very disturbing to him. So, did anyone see anything else? Work work struggle yes yes yeah focus on god at the top of the ladder okay now for those of you that had this actually i'll read the quote that went along with that the quote was actually from the book the ladder from saint john Clinicus says, ascend, my brothers, ascend eagerly. Let your heart's resolve be to climb. Listen to the voice of the one who says, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of our God. Did reading that quote make you think differently at all about this icon, or how did that quote make you feel? More hopeful? it's a fun challenge. Any other thoughts that popped into people's minds? Immediacy to do it faster. So spiritual struggles are always there, okay? Um, as we're growing as a family, the struggles are always going to be there. But I love the fact that the kind of position of this quote with this icon that kind of brings out fear and struggle and concern because the quote to me says, gosh, that's exciting. Let's go. Let's go up to the mountain of the Lord. I'm game. You guys game? Let's do it. You know, I mean, I, and I always picture, you know, I don't know what Sunday mornings look like in your house, but it's not, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord. It's get those shoes on, let's go, you know, it's like, now, I've told you ten times, you know, and stuff, as opposed to this excitement that we build, and I think that that's one of the concepts I want to talk about first, is the idea that we need to realize and bring the excitement of the church, the excitement of having Christ in our lives into our homes, because sometimes what I see happen is we apologize a lot for our Orthodox Church and our services. I know it's gonna be a two hour service, hang in there, you know, and everything. And I, I had an experience where I tried a little kind of thing with my son. Um, so I live in Tarpon Springs, which many of you may know as like the big fat Greek epiphany city. Um, and so we do epiphany really big every year. The problem is with that 
is that in order to get a decent seat at Epiphany, you have to get there well before Orthros. And the liturgy usually doesn't get out, at, which is before 8 o'clock, and the liturgy doesn't get out till usually around 1 o'clock. And I thought, let's just go for it. My husband and I just talked about it. We're like, we're going to go for it this year. We're just going to, you know, and we, we started talking to our son. We're like, it's going to be awesome, but we're going we're gonna to be going to church, but we're going to be going before anybody else gets there. And we're going to be in church for a long time, and the bishop's going to come in, and there's going to ring bells when he comes in. And we kind of laid out the whole service. And I have to be honest, you know, the idea of being church that long, I think I was kind of trying to sell myself on it a little bit too, because that can be a struggle for us as parents too, to be there that long and stuff. Um, and honestly, by the time the day came, he was so excited about and I'm like we think you're old enough to do this now you know we know that you can sit through and we're kind of you know and everything and and to pray with everyone there and he was excited and the kid lasted the whole service never once asked because that becomes an issue too to go to the bathroom because if he leaves to go to the bathroom we lose the seat you know <laughs> and stuff and he didn't you know and it was kind of this amazing thing and I thought gosh can we get that kind of vigor and excitement every Sunday can we get that kind of vigor of incitement about reading the Bible, about, you know, saying our prayers together as a family and really trying to bring that there? That doesn't mean, you know, that in my house every Sunday we're up and like, let's all go, you know, to church, you know, and stuff. And we're, you know, chanting, you know, you know, hymns from, you know, whatever, you know, that, that's not what it's like every week. But that excitement is so important. When I first learned the Paraclesi service, I learned it at summer camp. Okay, because our counselors woke us up at 11 at night. Um, okay, who am I lying? It was a, we were the high school camp, and we weren't really asleep at that time yet. Um, but they dragged us up this mountain where there's cross on the hill in California, and we all they gave us all candles, and they taught us how to chant it. And it was like the coolest thing. They're like, we're going to do something really awesome, you know, and stuff. Or not just we have to get through this. And so when we bring some of these traditions into our home, when we start making hymns familiar in our we build that excitement to engage because then when we go back to church, we're like, I know this. This is familiar. I know where this is. This puts me on that ladder and stuff. So I want us to, as, as the first concept for in our home, is to build up the excitement of bringing Christ into our home, the excitement of being the church of the home, the excitement of going to church and going back and forth is really important. And, that, and with that excitement comes preparation, okay? Um, the second concept. Now we have a different icon um, than we normally see. This is of Christ the Good Shepherd, except Christ does not have a sheep on his shoulders. He has a man on his shoulders. It's one of my favorite icons. It's by um, Tom Clark um, because it's just so dramatic as opposed to seeing the sheep. Um, and the, so let me ask for those of you that looked at this icon or even those that are looking at it now, Christ carrying this man, what were your first thoughts when you saw this icon? What did you feel? Yes. Yes, and I didn't mention his hands are pierced, his feet are pierced, and he's walking on very rocky ground without even any concern for that whatsoever. 
Any other things about what you feel when you looked at this icon? Yes. What? How strong and powerful God is. Yes. Yes. Comfort. Yes. Yes. So the quote that went with this is from Metropolitan Anthony of Siraz. Every one of us is in the image of God, and every one of us is like a damaged icon. But if we've given an icon damaged by time, damaged by circumstances, or desecrated by human hatred, we would treat it with reverence, with tenderness, with brokenheartedness. We would not pay attention primarily to the fact that it's damaged, but to the tragedy of it being damaged. We would concentrate on what is left of the, its beauty and not on what's lost of its beauty. And this is what we must learn to do with regard to each person as an individual. Excuse me, what, what we must learn to do with regard to each person as individuals, but also with regard to groups of people. We must learn to look and look until we have seen the underlying beauty of this group of people. Only then can we even begin to do something to call out all the beauty that is there. So we're all broken icons. And what does this have to do with the church of the home? What's important for us as parents, we always think our job is to raise our children to be, you know, functional in this world, to raise them to be like, you know, go to college, get a good job, you know, whatever, get married, have kids so we can have grandchildren. You know, that's what we want. <laughs> you know? But the fact is that what we really need to do is to raise our children to understand that we're all broken. That as Christians, we all make mistakes, okay? And even the most together looking person in the world who looks like they have the perfect life has struggle, has brokenness, and has stuff they struggle with. So it's important for us to raise our children to understand that. And because that way, when they come up against the struggle, like Christian said, we teach them how to deal with that. We teach them to turn to Christ in prayer. We teach them to go to confession. And we teach them to talk amongst our family members. And this is like a, a thing from summer camp, for those of you that have participated in summer camps, you know, that we used to do in the cabins, the idea of like right before bedtime, sharing highs and lows of the day. You know, this was my high point of the day, this is my low point of the day. And you do this like either before you pray or, or as some part of your routine. I think that carving out time as a family to regularly do this is critical, okay? There's so much going on in our lives that by creating a ritual of checking in daily with everyone, and you can call it highs and lows, or you can call it what you're grateful for today. What do we want to thank God for today? What do you want to help ask God for help with today? You know, and some days it might be just, you know, I'm grateful that they had ice cream sandwiches at lunch today because they were awesome, you know? But other days it might be, you know what? I'm really glad that, you know, you and daddy are healthy and well because you know what? My friend's dad just found out they have cancer, you know, and that makes me scared, okay? We have to find opportunities to engage in the world of our children, 
to hear what they're experiencing so that we're not just like trying to pull it out of them when the big things happen, but that this is a natural thing that we talk about as families. We talk about highs, we talk about lows, we talk about our struggles all the time, not just when, this, you know, when things go really wrong. We always talk about these things. So I would encourage you, if you're not already, to build in a devotion time, a time when you pray together, maybe read from the scripture together, share highs and lows, whatever's right for your family. You know, if you're already doing that, build it up a little bit more. If you're not doing it, start smaller. Talk with your priest for some guidance in that. But find a way that you can regularly enter into each other's world and, and help teach your children. I'm becoming more and more convinced in this life, um, and someday I'm going to write an article about this, but I, in, is the idea of teaching our children to fall. Okay? Because that's life. You know, and, and um, here in Minnesota, where I took ice skating lessons when I was in elementary school, you know, that's, that was kind of like the first thing they taught us was, you know, when we fell, how to get up you know, on the ice, because it's not as easy as it would look, you know? So in life, that's our goal, is to teach our children when they fall how to get back up, and to point that, to others that have done this too. You know, I, I used to really struggle with the stories of the saints because they were all so woo-woo. They, you know, they, you know, he did this, and then, you know, he raised, you know, this person, his prayers raised this person. Everything was miraculous that we read about the saints. And it, I felt them, I felt them that they were very unrelatable to me. And then I started reading stories of like St. Maria of Paris. I mean, who was divorced twice, you know, lost two of her daughters and then her last son, you know, died with her uh, in a separate, uh, you know, separate concentration camp, was killed, you know. I think we have to look at the lives of the saints and tell them to our children um, and, and show that they had struggles too that's super important for them to realize. And I think we have to adjust our expectation for our children um, because I'm pretty sure um, that St. Catherine, it's not obvious she's my patron saint, I'm Melissa Katina, um, but I've always had an affinity for St. Catherine because of that. But you know, she was beautiful, she was smart, she was wealthy. I I'm not sure that everyone in the town would have called her successful you know, because she's in the, you know, the, the, in the halls arguing with all these men about, you know, philosophy and Christ. And, and she ended up being beheaded for that. So at that time, I'm sure she was seen as the greatest tragedy. Oh, she could have been this. Oh, she could have been that. She could have married princes. She could have done all this. She was a failure. So we have to look at what is our de definition of success for our kids? Is it CEO? Not that there's anything wrong with that, okay? Unless that's our definition of them being successful. There's nothing wrong with our kids being CEOs as long as that's not their primary thing in life. Or is the definition St. Catherine and being a martyr, okay? So again, just things to think about and to challenge ourselves as parents. So the next icon we have is one we've seen a lot this time of the year, the prodigal son. This is a simple one of just the father and the son embracing, okay? There's others that have the full scene of everything going on, which are cool to look at and contrast. So my question is to you, what, those of you that looked at this icon, or as you're looking at it now, 
what were some feelings, some thoughts that came to mind when you looked at this? Yes? I didn't hear. Forgiveness. The love a parent has for their child. Repentance. Yes. And the quote that goes with it from St. Siloam the Athenite, the Lord greatly loves the repenting sinners and mercifully presses him to his bosom. Where were you, my child? I was waiting a long time for you. The Lord calls all to himself with the voice of the gospel, and his voice is heard in all the world. Come to me, my sheep. I created you, and I love you. My love for you brought me to earth, and I suffered all things for the sake of your salvation. And I want you all to know my love and to say, like the apostles on Tabor, Lord, it is good for us to be with you. I have never really thought that way when I'm going to confession. But what a beautiful thought that that's what the Lord is waiting for us to turn to him to do. So we talked about excitement. We talked about raising our children and creating homes where people can talk about their brokenness. This third aspect of the church of the home is that our churches of the home have to be places where there's forgiveness, where we teach about repentance, and we're working towards coming to get as, coming as a family to confession, um, teaching about confession. Um, it's so important for us to model that as parents, and it's probably the hardest thing to do. Um, it's a very difficult thing to do on a regular basis, but it's so important for us to teach about that. So, for example, when a husband and a wife have a fight, okay? Not a huge fight, an argu ar argument as we all have as husbands and wives. They have an argument, okay? Um, things get a little bit heated. They decide to talk about it later when the kids are asleep, okay? Which is appropriate. However, the next morning, everything is magically fine, okay? Now, do the kids need to hear about everything that was discussed, you know, when the parents worked through what they worked through? Um, no, but to some extent, they need to know that something did happen, you know, even if it's just a, you know, honey, I'm really glad, like sitting around the breakfast table in a little bit of a, I don't know, a little bit of a scripty way. I'm so glad we were able to talk last night after the kids went to bed. I know that we were arguing earlier in the day. I'm always glad we talk it out. Forgive me for my part in it, and then forgive me. But to somehow bring some resolution so that kids can see that you guys worked towards forgiveness in your issue. Um, and also teaching our children to work through that with their siblings and with other people in the home. And a really hard part is, I'm not sure about you all, but I frequently make mistakes as a parent. <laughs> um, and sometimes, even though I'm talking to you about like listening with our whole hearts or this, sometimes I jump to conclusions or sometimes I'm not in a good mood and I will yell at my son and um, and which actually has nothing to do with him. 
um, and more to do with my state at that moment. Um, and, you know, frequently I will end up in his room and say, hey, you know what? I have to apologize to you. You were doing this, and I was not happy that you were doing this, but regardless, we'll talk about that later, I should not have yelled the way I yelled. And I'm very sorry, and I would like you to forgive me. So it's hard for us as parents to do that, but it's really important because then it sets them up for down the line when they are parents that, guess what, we don't have to be perfect as parents. You know, we don't have to have all the answers. We can't possibly have all the answers and we can't possibly do everything right, no matter what parenting book you read. And trust me, I've read a lot. <laughs> yes. Can you, st can you actually stand up if you're gonna share a story? Can you stand up and turn around? Actually, hold on, let me give you this so people, everyone can hear you because I don't want to repeat it. It's better in your words. I know most of the people here today know that's a good thing that they they know that I'm a struggler in the faith just like they are. Um, one, my name is Carrie and I'm from Holy and Agri, Greek Orthodox Church in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, I have four daughters uh, and my husband Tim's right here. And um, a lot, uh, as much as I would have to say, probably as much as you do, I struggle to try to all uh, these components that you you know, make sure that I ask my husband for forgiveness and that we or my children and that. And, and we t I have, you know, girlfriends like Presbyterian Krista to we talk about uh, how um, oh, we were challenged. And anyway, so um, we do the best we, try we can. But I have one story that my kids particularly love this story. Um, it's a humbling story for me to share this too. But we have um, a big mirror in my house, a big round mirror on the wall. One day last year when my oldest daughter, or excuse me, one of my kids um, was upset. Now, I can't remember what it was that she did that upset me. I remember this story, but I don't remember what it was. But I was living, living at whatever she did. And I was yelling and screaming. And um, now, the, because I'm a Greek woman and so it's passionate, you know, the whole bit, it was just, you know, my Greek mama. And the funny thing is, if we use our mirrors in the house, because I, you know, try, I like to think I might, you know, I like to look in vanity, you know, because I shouldn't have any mirrors, period. But anyways, but this, so I, when I do look in the mirror, it's, oh, do I look good? Well, this one time I'm screaming at my daughter, and I saw the image, my image, in the mirror, and it was ugly, ugly. And quickly, because I read the Holy Fathers, you know, and I read um, the Saint Porphyrios and Saint, Saint Paisios, and you know, and, and, and read, and I try to follow their word. I heard, because I feel like I read the Holy Fathers, I heard, this is how you look to the gift I allowed you to have, the Lord. This is the faith you show. And I went, all right, so I see that. You're my daughter, right? I see that. But I was so engrossed in my anger and my everything. I see, I heard that I said, <laughs> and I finished off the rest. So that you didn't have to see yourself. I wouldn't have to look at it. In that mirror, I meant. <laughs> the worst grief. Okay, yeah. bye. Okay, so now all three daughters are there, and the girl I'm yelling at is there. Which, okay. So then, all right, fine, we're done. I walk up and I think, okay, 
the British daughter that's not gonna, you know, in my head, I'm just a guy. She, what she did with her, I don't even remember what it means. You go in my bedroom, and the Lord will, if you really need to learn a lesson, the Holy Father said this, the Lord will bring it up. Your conscience will come back. And sure enough, that day, the conscience crept in, crept in. So I, when I calmed down a little bit, I knew. So I went out to the room, uh, in the living room. I called all my daughters together, the one I was yelling at, and the three that witnessed the awful thing. And I said, you have to know, I saw my image in the mirror. I heard a voice say, this is what you do to you, the gift I give you as the Lord, your child. This is what, because it's not the Lord, our children are not their gifts from the Lord. Yeah. And I, please, I said to my daughter, please forgive me for that anger. And, uh, please forgive me out of the children, you know. And so I'm standing there like this. One of my daughters goes, the younger one goes, maybe we should have mirrors all around the house, mama. That's, thank you so much for sharing that. Maybe we should have mirrors everywhere. So, but it is, and that also can be a good thing though, there's those moments when we're in the heat of the moment and everything, but also working it into a regular practice in our home is very important. Um, like, you know, before you go to church, before you're gonna receive communion, asking for forgiveness, be it in the house, be it the night before liturgy, be it in the pew that morning, turning to one another and asking for forgiveness. Now, I wanna say one caveat about this, because I think that they're practicing asking forgiveness. Um, you can't force kids to forgive each other. So if, if a child asks another child and your other, their sibling for forgiveness and the sibling says, no, I'm gonna forgive you. Okay, you can't say, yes, you have, this is forgiveness time. You gotta forgive them. Don't do that. That's an opportunity later on to dialogue and say, and respect them with that. Okay, so that's fine if you don't wanna forgive them right now, but we're gonna work on that later on. We're gonna have more conversations and hopefully work towards forgiveness. So we wanna respect our children with that. The other thing that I think is really important under this is um, again, working and preparing our children for um, confession um, and stuff. And you know, there's a lot of different, you know, depending on the child's age, when is a good time to start in this. I've heard a lot of priests say sometimes around age seven, age eight, you know, you know when's best for your child, but trying to educate them at that. And I think the best way to start educating is for them to see you going to confession, um, to see you regularly partaking in that sacrament, um, and even going as a family, you know, before major feasts, as a family, oh, it's our confession time. That doesn't mean when I say go as a family that you sit on a pew and everybody confesses in front of everyone, because that's not appropriate for you to be confessing in front of your children all, all your sins necessarily. Um, but, but, um, but it means that you all go in together and take turns with the priest and stuff. It's really, it's the forgotten sacrament and it's really so powerful. We really need to engage in that more. Um, there's a book, and this is not written in your thing, it's called The Forgotten Medicine, and another one called Return, that are really, really um, books that I've personally found very edifying in preparing for confession. And um, yes, so anyway.
So with that, I want to move through quickly because we got to get Christian back up here, um, and his next session is awesome. So um, the next one, so I'm going to go through these last two slides a little quickly. Um, the next one was the icon of all saints, and you can see all the different ranks of saints up here, and Christ is in the middle, and the angels, and there's a lot going on in this, and we could probably spend an entire, like, you know, day retreat talking about this icon that I would not be qualified to lead. But the, the, the quote that we, I put with this is the idea that we knew from Alexei Komikov, we know that when any one of us falls, he falls alone, but no one is saved alone. He who is saved is saved in the church as a member of her and in union with all her other members. No one then can rest his hope on his own prayers alone, but everyone who prays should ask for the intercessions of the whole church, not as though doubting the inter their intercession to Christ, the one advocate, but in the assurance that the whole church ever prays for all her members. All the angels pray for us, the apostles, martyrs, patriarchs, and above all, the mother of our Lord. So we need to make sure that our church of the home isn't just like in our home, that it extends out that we have people from our church coming in regularly, that we're tied to the regular church, that we have members that we're holding up, you know, to our children and, and that are in their lives and stuff, um, and that we're all in community together. We, we aren't meant to be alone. Um, you know, and one of the most powerful things Christian was talking earlier about the roll away the rock, you know, from Lazarus's tomb. You know, if you, if you look at that closely at the end, when he rises Lazarus and he comes out and, and, and he says, and it says there, and they unbound him, okay? They helped unbind Lazarus as a community. They took his death shroud off of him. They unwrapped him and stuff. And if you, it was last Sunday that we had the, the story of the paralytic who couldn't get in to be healed by Jesus and his friends lowered him in through the roof of the church you know, there, and it says in the Bible, and their faith made him well. Not his faith, their faith. So community is so critically important to us. Um, very, very important um, for us and for our children to engage in and that we bring the community into our homes. The last area after we talk about community in the Orthodox is the world. Um, and this last icon is the icon of the Great Commission. And Christ is standing on the rock and the apostles are before. And this is from, you know, the book of, um, of Matthew, go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you always. Everybody always close, quotes the lo, I will be with you always. Christ said he'll be with us always. He told us to go forth, though, <laughs> um, and share the Bible. And so we have to, in our home, the spirit of witnessing Christ. And that doesn't mean that we're raising children to walk around their schools carrying their Bibles and reading passages to, you know, kids that need to learn better, you know, about the Bible. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about evangelization. We're talking about just, just living as Christ wants us to live, to being the light in the world, okay? I remember this quote, and again, I can never figure out if it's really true or not, but it makes a point that Gandhi once said, you know, I like your Jesus, 
And if it hadn't been for the Christians I met, I too would be a Christian. I don't know if he said that or not, but I think that's a really powerful um, sentiment that I would say a lot of people in this world have experienced. What are we witnessing? Are we ex witnessing the love of Christ to people? Or are we like, you know, yelling at people with picketed signs telling them they're going to hell? We don't typically do that. But how do we create our children to be light, to be standing in the world and to say, here I am, I'm not going to do that, but I love you. So, what now? Well, it's time to go home. <laughs> I think that as we go forth, there's probably a lot of things, I know there's a lot going through my mind, because like I said, when I do this, I get as much from you guys, um, probably get more from you than you get from me, but um, there's probably a lot running through our minds, and so we want to run home and start doing things. And I think the best place when we leave these retreats is to take some time for silence and for prayer, and then have a discussion. Because some of you might be here, you know, with other family members, but some of you might hear, be here by yourself, okay? And, and so running home from a retreat and saying, now we got to do this, this, and this, and this. This woman from the arch, crazy woman from the archdiocese said, this is what we have to do in our homes. It's not really helpful to anyone. But take some time to reflect. There's actually a reflection sheet here. It's like kind of an action plan thing. But the idea is that this is your thoughts. Now set it aside, put it in your Bible, and pray about it for a few days. Talk with your other family members about it. Pray about it some more. Talk with your priest about it. Pray about it some more. And figure out how you can integrate some practices in it. You know, again, back to the, you know, the, the exercise, you know, thing. If, like... If all of a sudden we like get excited because we go to this retreat about, you know, running a marathon and we think, I want to run a marathon, and we take off running. Well, what happened to the first guy that rode the first marathon? I don't think he trained very well because he dropped dead after it, you know? <laughs> so we need to make sure that we do what's best for our family, one step at a time, okay? And don't try to overextend ourselves. Um, I'm key. I do that all the time. I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And the next thing I do, we don't integrate anything new into our homes. So, and another thing I want to caution you about, because this is a struggle for me, um, Facebook is so wonderful because you get to learn so many different things about different practices. Um, but I also find, you know, other than the fact there's stuff on there that's just ridiculous that you don't need to see, um, but I find even sometimes the orthodox stuff that I see um, leads my heart to not a good place. Like, I will look at what somebody's family is doing during Lent, and I'll think, wow, look how much nicer their Lenten calendar is than mine. Or I'll think, wow, that's a cool idea they're doing with their kids. I should have done more. Or I wish I could do, you know. And so I start getting jealous and envious or thinking I need to do more. And we really, when we're working on our family's spiritual development, it's okay to look to other people as mentors and stuff, but we have to be careful that we're not, um, that, that we look at our own family's needs. In other words, we have to discern what's best for our family and talk with our priest and guide us as to what's best for us. Because you know what? I can look at so-and-so and think, I need to do this, this, and this, and that. But you know what? So-and-so is a stay-at-home mom, you know, and she's got four kids. I work full-time, <laughs> And I have one kid. So what they're doing in their home doesn't necessarily translate to what I need to do in my house. So I just caution you of that because it's really easy to get carried away with that. So with that, um, 
I thank you all. Um, and um, please forgive me for anything that didn't sound right. That was probably just me rambling off my head. Um, so forgive me for that. And I thank you all. And please, there was an email list that went around. I know some of you came around at the end. If anyone didn't sign it, please put your email here and I'll send you some resources about our office. One email, that's all. If you want more, you have to sign up for our listserv. So I'll put this, I'm gonna put this right in the back here. And Christian, take it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>